And God, you are the one who is seated on the throne of this universe. You're in control. You are God. You are king. And we're really excited about that because by you being king, it means that we don't have to be. By you being king, it means that you are the one who is in control. You are the one who can make good things happen in our lives. And Father, we're really excited and thankful about that here this morning. Father, we just want to glorify you with our words and our actions, our service and our time. Father, that we want to make you the center of our lives and really give you all the honor and all the glory that you deserve. Lord, one of the ways that we can do that is to be able to ask for forgiveness. And so we just want to take a moment right now, each of us individually, to go to you, make confession. Get rid of all the stuff that's in our lives that doesn't need to be there. Let's just take a moment, each of us individually, and do just that. Father, forgive us of those things, Lord, so that we may be able to really come with clean robes and clean hearts and be able to worship you this morning. Father, as we talk about your Holy Spirit, we're thankful that you have given the Holy Spirit into our lives. We're thankful that we can experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we're thankful that you have given us the opportunity to speak your word to other people. And so, Father, we thank you for that. And, Lord, we pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would be indwelling us, would be filling us, would be completing us, would be challenging us in our relationship with you and our relationship with others. And, Father, so we lift all of this up in Jesus' name. Amen. our series on choose your own topic. Um, as I mentioned last week, I had an extra week. Uh, actually, a, I had a whole extra, extra month or so where I moved off the series that I was going to do in the summer to the fall. And so I had a bunch of weeks in there where I didn't really have anything slated. So I thought it would be interesting and fun to sort of do a choose your own topic where each of you were able to Put your suggestion in, put your two cents worth in as far as what kind of topics that we would do. And uh, so I thought it was a good idea and it seems like a good idea and I hope last week was enjoyable um, as worshiping God is supposed to be enjoyable. Um, And so this week I'm going to do something that Dennis asked uh, for us to discuss, which is how do you get the Holy Spirit? How do you get the Holy Spirit? I mean, we talk about God, we talk about Jesus, we talk about the Holy Spirit in church, but what does it mean to get the Holy Spirit? Moreover, we see on TV lots of people who will get the Holy Spirit and they'll run around like they're on fire, they'll fall down on the floor, they'll yell things, they'll laugh, they'll do lots of crazy actions, they'll writhe and they'll wriggle around in their seats. And is that getting the Holy Spirit? Well, we'll talk about that a little bit later on today too. So here's the question, how do you get the Holy Spirit? Well, 
I put get in quotes because it's not really, it's sort of the wrong question in a way, but it's a good question because it's a question that most of us ask. We ask it in this way as if it's something that we should acquire or something that we should somehow get in our lives. We're going to talk about that. The thing I need to say at the outset, though, of doing this is that the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit throughout its pages, okay? So there's no book of the Bible that doesn't talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is throughout the entire Bible. There's no way that in 35 minutes I can explain to you everything about the Holy Spirit or even what the Holy Spirit does and how it works. Um, It shouldn't be how it works, how He works um, in our lives. Uh, I can't do that. So what we're going to do is um, we're just going to, for the series, we're just going to look at a study of receiving the Holy Spirit from Acts, okay? So I took the book of Acts, and I just looked at specific situations in the book of Acts for us to understand about getting the Holy Spirit. Now, why did I pick Acts of all the books of the Bible? Well, there's two reasons. Number one, because Acts is a historical record of what happened in the early church, okay? So unlike other books of the Bible, which can be letters, which can be uh, revelation, which can be the Gospels, um, which can be poetry, which can be uh, proverbs, which can be different kinds of genres of literature. The book of Acts is historical. It's just a narrative about what went on in the early church. So it has a different style of interpretation than others, but it is a much more simpler style of interpretation because it's just a history. It's just an account. The other reason why is because most of the passages that are misunderstood in Acts, I'm sorry, misunderstood in the Bible about the Holy Spirit come into play in Acts. So that's the two reasons why I chose Acts um, as our starting point for understanding receiving the Holy Spirit. For some of you, this is probably stuff you already all know. For some of you, this may be all new. And so you'll just have to bear with me as I try to bridge the gap between those two things. Now, Let's start with a, I cannot do this message without starting with a simple principle of interpretation or understanding the Bible. Now, I know that you guys make fun of me. I found this out. I've always known it. There's several reasons why you make fun of me, but there's one reason why specifically I want to mention why you guys make fun of me. A lot of you make fun of me because I define a lot of words, don't I? Yes, I define a lot of words. Now, that's fair. Okay, it's fair. Why do I spend a lot of time in my messages defining words? Well, because the meaning of words change and how we use words really sort of defines what we believe and how we speak about things. Uh, let me give you an example. When I was in, uh, at uh, Grace Community Church in New York, the church I pastored before I came here, I was the adult ministries pastor. It was a large church. And we were just getting started, it was like around 2001, 2002, 2002. we were just getting started with a college ministry or ramping up the college ministry, and at the time, the word wicked was really popular. You know, like, if you ask somebody about their car, and they, they would say, oh yeah, that's a really wicked car, man. So... We talked about it and figured out, you know, how let's let's launch this ministry and what are some of the words we want to use to describe. And all the college kids were like, it's a wicked ministry, man. So in the bulletin, we put, you know, the college age ministry. We're coming. We're going to have a wicked good time, you know, and most of the church was like, okay, cool. But there was one older gentleman who had a total conniption. 
And he got really mad with me and tried to lecture me for a long time about what wicked meant. And I tried to explain to him that we weren't using wicked in the context that, that he meant it in. But it didn't matter because wicked in his mind always meant evil or against God. So he didn't understand why we would put wicked in the bulletin to describe a ministry that's supposed to be for God. Now, I'm not going to say if he's right or I'm right, we can debate that till the cows come home. He's never convinced that he was wrong. Um, I'm not 100% convinced I'm wrong either. That's the way life works. But we, words change their meaning all the time. So the question is, a duck always a duck. You know, they say something like, if it looks like a duck and talks like a duck and acts like a duck, walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, then maybe it's a duck, right? But at the same time, when we go to the, when we go to the lake with our kids and we throw out the, the breadcrumbs, you know, if a geese flies by, we don't try to explain what it is. We just say, oh, yeah, it's a duck too, right? Or a swan or what. I mean, there's a whole variety of them. So we just use duck a lot of times to describe the bird that sits on the water, even though it may be something else if we were to get very particular, very specific about what it is. Okay, now why do I bring up this point about words? Well, when we talk about the Holy Spirit in English, a lot of the words that we use have been sort of changed their meaning a lot of times. So we'll see on people on TV talking about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to argue with you today that, what, that that's the wrong word to use there. That's not really what they're meaning. But English words, because it's so colloquial, and by the way, if you had an, a language before English, English is a terrible language to learn, isn't it? You can amen that. English is a terrible language to learn. Why is it terrible language to learn? Because words change their meaning so frequently, and everything's colloquial. Like uh, one of you told me last week, English has 5,000 words for poop, <laughs> you know, and it does. I mean, and so why do you need so many words for that? But we just do in English. Okay. And so when we talk about the Holy Spirit, there's a ton of words that different churches use to talk about the Holy Spirit. And so one of the difficulties is kind of even having a common understanding of what these words mean. Now, I'm going to try to do that this morning and we'll see if I'm successful. All right, let's see what the Bible says. We're going to look around through here, um, a couple different passages. Let me just start with a couple ideas about the Holy Spirit. How do we get the Holy Spirit? And then, of course, defining a few words in the midst of it. First of all, I'm going to argue that we receive the Holy Spirit at salvation. Okay, we receive the Holy Spirit at salvation. What this means is, is that basically when someone professes faith in Christ, when someone becomes a believer in Jesus that at that point in time, that is when the Holy Spirit will enter a person's life. If a person confesses Jesus as Savior truly and completely, the Holy Spirit comes in, you don't have a choice, okay? So you can't say, I want to be a Christian, I want to trust in Jesus with, with all my heart, but I don't want the Holy Spirit in my life, okay? You, you can't do that. It's not really a possibility. It's just like you can't say, I want to know Jesus and trust him with all my life and all my heart, but I don't want to know God, right? You can't do that. They, they go together. It's, it's, it's all part of the package deal, all right? For example, you also can't say, I'm going to commit my life to Jesus forever and ever, but I'm not going to go to heaven because I don't want to go to heaven. Sorry, you're, you're going to go to heaven because you don't, you don't have a choice, okay? It's a part of that package deal. So a part of the package deal is that you will receive the Holy Spirit at salvation. 
Now, let's break this down a little bit here. The Holy Spirit is the person of God who dwells within. Now, let's talk about this because this is where it gets kind of difficult. The Holy Spirit is throughout the entire Bible. And there's two different, like, sort of theories about the Holy Spirit. One, as far as how the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, as far as from the Old Testament, New Testament kind of perspective. Some people believe that the Old Testament was very different than the New Testament. And the Old Testament, no one had the Holy Spirit, okay? And only in the New Testament, suddenly everyone now has the Holy Spirit. I tend to believe it's not quite as black and white as that. I tend to believe that in, in, the, in the Old Testament that people had access to the Holy Spirit. People were certainly filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, David would be a good example. The Holy Spirit was certainly working in people's lives. But there's a reason why God chose to pour out the Holy Spirit more in the time that followed Jesus than in the time that preceded Jesus. And we're going to take that up in just a minute explain why. But let me just start by this, by saying the Holy Spirit is a person of God who dwells within The idea here is that when we become a believer in Christ, we become adopted into the family of God, right? Uh, My wife and I were talking about this week. We are not natural-born children of the family of God. We are adopted into the family of God. At that point in time, when we are adopted into the family of God, and we make that commitment, that commitment is sealed by the Holy Spirit, okay? So the Holy Spirit is the one that is basically, like, if you, like let's put it this way. If you're going to make an agreement to buy a piece of property, or buy a car, what do you have to do? You have to sign a document that seals that agreement, okay? I was at DMV two weeks ago. Somebody tried to buy a car that didn't have the, the signed, and they were like, get out of here. You've got to have the signed statement that you bought the car. You can't just show up with the title and say the car's mine. You've got to have the signed statement that seals the deal. And so when we become a believer in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is the function of God that seals the deal that is like the signed statement in our lives. When the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, when we become a believer, the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. It's really important that we do not understand this in a way that, um, well, in a way that's popular in our culture. Uh, One idea of God dwelling in people comes from a Hindu sort of perspective or even a Star Wars sort of perspective where there's actually like a a spirit inside of you or in another, we won't get into all the depths of the different theories, or there's like a little man inside your head, okay? It's It's not like that. What happens is, is that in our soul, in our spirit, in that part of ourselves that science can't dissect because it's just a who, what we are, you know? It's just like when a person dies, you dissect the body. You've got the body, but nobody can make it work again because there's the soul, the spirit that's in the body that really is, defines who we are as people. That the spirit of God connects with us and the Bible speaks of it being the place wherein God resides. Not necessarily literally like we would reside in a building, but resides in us where that is his connection point with us. That might be a fair way of saying it. Let me give it to you in the historical example. Does anybody remember in the Old Testament, they had the temple, right? And inside the temple, inside the tabernacle, there was a place called, what was the centermost place inside the temple? Anybody remember what it was called? The Holy of Holies, right? And that was the, where God dwelt in our world, okay? That was seen as the place, the seed of God in our world. When Christ died and was resurrected, what happened to the cloth that separated the world from the Holy of Holies? The veil was torn in two, right? 
which symbolized that God would no longer dwell inside that little place in the tabernacle, in the temple, but would dwell within people. Okay, And so what happens is, is that when we become a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. That is the connection point. That's why the Bible talks about our bodies as being the temple of God. Now, let's break this down a little bit. Let's look at some passages in Acts. Here's what Acts says here, first of all, in two, chapter 2, 37, 38. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you, and these are non-believers, these are, these are people who are listening to the preaching of the gospel. So Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so what are we supposed to do? Well, when we want to become a believer, we're supposed to repent of our sins, turn to God, be baptized in water, and then we'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's the way it works. It's all envisioned as a one-time sort of deal. It's all envisioned as something that happens at the same sort of time. Now, one of the things that we, we, we will deal with in this issue is some of you will say, well, but water baptism can occur a few days or a few weeks later. What about Holy Spirit baptism? Well, Holy Spirit baptism, again, from a biblical perspective, comes when we accept Christ. It is part of it. By the way, the Bible never envisions the idea that a person will become a believer in Jesus and then will put off baptism for like 10 years, okay? Um, it doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means that was never, that was never uh, sort of an idea in the Bible. The Bible always pictures people literally, I accept Jesus. Let's find the nearest river and go to and get dunked. That's the image in the Bible, all right? In fact, if you remember a couple weeks ago, I told the story of the jailer. The jailer that night when the, when the jail busted open and, and Paul was still there and you know, didn't run away and the jailer believed in Christ, he immediately went to his house that evening and got baptized. He didn't wait till church on Sunday or whatever the case would be. He got baptized immediately. Okay? So the Bible doesn't see people waiting around. It sees it all happening at the same time. Now, the Holy Spirit dwells, is the Spirit, is the person of God who dwells within. Let me say something else about the Holy Spirit. In English, <clears throat> we should use he to talk about the Holy Spirit. It's not a it. Um, because our culture has been so affected by Star Wars, right? I mean, the gospel according to George Lucas is more powerful in some circles in America than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reason is, is because of the movies and the popularity and that sort of thing. But the Holy Spirit is not the force, because the force is an impersonal thing that just floats around the universe. That would be more similar to a Hindu or Buddhist perspective on God and the nature of the universe than it is, primarily Hindu, than it is a Christian worldview. In the Christian worldview, there is God who is God, and he shows himself or makes himself known in three distinct ways, three persons, okay? And so one of those distinct ways, one of those persons is the Holy Spirit. It's not a power to tap into. That is the wrong idea. But it's actually just our connection to the living God. Now, this is really important for later because a lot of people think that the Holy Spirit is a power to tap into. By the way, I didn't tell the great story of Simon Magus in Acts, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, because Simon tries to buy the Holy Spirit from the apostles. And the apostles are like, you can't buy it. 
you know, and it's because it's not a power that you can get. It's the God who loves you and created covenant with you and sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you that wants to connect with you. And that is the primary connection point in our world. Now, we are baptized in the spirit once just as in water once. All right. Um, again, in our world, it's very common to speak of baptizing in the Holy Spirit. I'm picked up in just a second. But let me just give you an idea here. When a person is baptized in Christ, you don't have anybody in the Bible who gets baptized again and again and again, right? I mean, Peter didn't get baptized every week, every time he sinned. He didn't get baptized regularly. Why? Because baptism is not a purification ritual primarily. You know what I mean? In other words, baptism is not designed to say you're now clean. That's not what baptism is. Baptism is what? It's telling the world publicly that you are a child of God, that you're adopting the family of God. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is, does what? It shows the world that is a spiritual world with those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. It is the seal that you are a believer in Christ. Let me put it this way. If I were God, and I'm not, but if I were God, it would be very easy to tell lots of ways. But it'd be very easy to tell who's a Christian, who's not a Christian. Why? Is it because Christians are better people than non-Christians? Well, they should be, but that's not really what it is. Why is it easy for God to tell who's a Christian and not a Christian? Just by looking. Because those who are believers have the Holy Spirit in them, and they have the seal of the Holy Spirit on them. They have a big signature on their forehead that says, I am God's. That's what it says. So the Holy Spirit symbolizes and demonstrates to other people that we are children of God. We are baptized in spirit once, just as in water once. You don't need to get sealed over and over again, over and again, right? Just like you don't need to become a believer over and over and over again. You don't need to get baptized over and over and over again. You don't need to be sealed over and over and over and over again, all right? You just need to do it one time because it's a a once-in-a-lifetime covenant and contract that you make with God. So once you decide for good that you're going to be a believer in Christ, you become baptized to show the world that you are a believer in Christ, and you become sealed by God so that it, everyone knows, spiritually speaking, that you're a believer in Christ. Now, there's more function of the Holy Spirit there, but I don't have time to talk about this morning. So when, we, when we're baptized, we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And by the way, the Bible speaks of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, but it speaks of it in the sense of us doing it because we're a believer in Christ, not because we do it all the time. Now, let me just say, by the way, rituals are powerful, aren't they? We've talked a lot about rituals. And when we do rituals, rituals can confuse people because people make it about the rituals, not faith. This is nothing that we haven't talked about for a lot. So you know what? If I wanted to liven up the services some, we'd have lots of baptisms. I mean, Rich, you need to get rebaptized, right? Ella, you need to get rebaptized. Well, no, okay, I'm not, not really, but you know what? It would make for better services because there'd be people ba- getting baptized all the time. Let's just baptize you once a month. It would make for better services. Hey, if people got baptized in the Holy Spirit over and over and over again, that would make for better services, wouldn't it? So there's a temptation to do what Simon did, which is to, instead of rely on faith and grace, to make it more about us than it is about God. But we want to be careful and we don't want to do that. See, again, the things of God are contrary to the things of man right because we people we want excitement we want change we want 
we want pleasure, we want wealth. But God doesn't want any of those things. What does God want? God wants long-term committed stability. You know, I, we were watching a, a, a great movie uh, the other night, very family-oriented, with Jackie Chan in it. And the, the, he, Jackie Chan was trying to date. Uh, he was single. He was trying to date this lady who was single, but was, I guess, divorced or widowed. Never really said who had kids. And the, the, the lady said, you know, the reason why I like Jackie Chan's character is because it's not because he's exciting, because the kids didn't like him because he wasn't exciting, right? She said, that's not why I like him. I've had exciting. Exciting doesn't work in marriage. You know what works in marriage? Somebody who shows up on time and loves me for who I am and is dependable and reliable. That's good for marriage, right? And that's the way God is because God is dependable and reliable. But he may not always be the definition of exciting in our English usage. Okay, we are baptized in spirit once as just in, in water once. Now, let's go a little further. Uh, Acts 1, 4 through 5 says this. After Jesus' resurrection... Um, this is what happened. Once when he was eating with them, when Jesus was eating with them, so this is right after the resurrection and right before he ascends to heaven to be with God. Once, we, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, meaning the disciples, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, why, you know, why does Jesus tell them this? Well, he's telling them this because he wants them to be there so that when the Holy Spirit shows up, because the Holy Spirit is transferring from being primarily in the temple to dwelling with people, he wants it to be there so that people will see the Holy Spirit come. Okay? Now, what do we need to remember about historical books in the Bible? Historical books record something that happened one time. All right? I could go down to Penitentiary Creek... And I can take my staff and I can go, right? But am I going to split the waters of Penitentiary Creek? Huh? Am I going to part it so I can walk down the middle? What if I went to the, to the San Francisco Bay? Do you think I could part the waters of the San Francisco Bay? Well, if God wanted you to, Pastor, yeah, that's true. If God wanted me to, but there's no point in it because I don't have a pharaoh. There's no pharaoh. And I'm not, and, and there's a lot of problems there, right? So, we don't part the Red Sea. In fact, only one man's ever parted the Red Sea by the power of God. That was Moses. One, only one man's ever been swallowed by a fish and spit out three days later. That was Jonah. I could take Rich Lanon to the ocean, pitch him in. Again, he gets swallowed by a fish. He ain't coming back. All right? It's not about the power of God. You've got to understand. People, now, listen, a lot of people would hear this message and they'll accuse me of not having faith. It's, this is not faith. This is knowing the will of God. The will of God for Jonah was to be swallowed. The will of God for you and I is not necessarily probably to be swallowed by fish and to be regurgitated three days later. I could take a big old jawbone uh, and I could swing it at a bunch of people, but I don't mean I'll kill 100 Philistines like Samson, right, or whatever. And so the thing is, is that there are unique events that God does with each of his people. By the way, whatever God does in your life, he won't do in my life because you're a different person than me. He has a special plan for you and a special plan for me. So what happened was is, is that God had a special plan for the disciples that they would receive the Holy Spirit in a special way as a sign to who? Well, we'll see in just a second. What about the passage in Acts where people get the Holy Spirit later? Well, let's look at that because this is one that people bring up all the time. Acts 8 says, as soon as Peter and John arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. So a lot of people use this passage right here. This is, this is the, like the only one in the Bible that's really usable in this way. They take it out of context, and they say, see, you got to get the Holy Spirit. Okay, well, let's assume for a second that was true in the way they say. We still only need to get it one time. Why are they keep laying hands on people on TV over and over and over again if it's the sealing aspect of God? I mean, if the Holy Spirit is God dwelling in people, how many times does God have to re-enter the dwelling? You know, or take access of the dwelling. So what happens here is that why then is there this secondary kind of thing? Well, most people believe there's two reasons. Number one is because when God came into our world and he established that in, after Jesus that the Holy Spirit would be more poured out on the world perhaps than it ever was before, okay, that there was a time where the Holy Spirit jumped from place to place. Why did it jump from place to place? Why did it start in Jerusalem with disciples and then spread outward to the church to the point where, by the way, nowhere else in the Old Testament, I mean, New Testament, does it talk about the need to get the Holy Spirit? Why? Because by the end of Acts, everyone had it. Everyone who was a believer in Christ at that point in time had it. And it wasn't like it took years or anything like that. We're talking about maybe, I don't know, I would say months. I would say months. So why here, why this? The events of Acts 19, oh, okay, well, let me, let me, let me mention this. I mean, I got to go forward a couple slides. The Holy Spirit was given this way as a sign to the Gentiles. All right. Why did God do it this way instead of just pouring out the Holy Spirit on everybody who's a believer? Because in Acts 10, the Jewish believers did not believe that God would save Gentiles. Meaning that's you and I, right? Because a lot of them were still steeped in the Pharisaical tradition that only Jews were saved. By the way, that's not a biblical view, but that was the pharisaical view that was really popular at the time. We could say it like this. Only, you know, Americans are saved. Only Baptists are saved. Only whatever are saved, right? And that's what they were saying. A lot of them were saying only Jews are saved. So to demonstrate, just as Moses parted the Red Sea, just as Jonah was swallowed by a fish, just as Samson beat up the Philistines with a jawbone, just whatever, you know, whatever example you want to use, just as those things happen, God slowed the coming of the Holy Spirit so that the Jews would believe that the Gentiles could be saved. Okay? Because if you read in, in that passage in Acts 10, I don't think I have it. Let me see if I have it. No, I don't have it up there on the screen. It was a long passage. But if you read, go home and read Acts 10, specifically verse 45. It says this. It says that when the Holy Spirit came upon the Gentiles, that the Jews believed, they were like, whoa, you mean Gentiles can have the Spirit of God in them too? They can be sealed for salvation? That's amazing. And there was no longer an argument over whether or not Gentiles could be saved. So instead of prolonging along racial and ethnic lines this debate, God just solved the debate with a miracle. He just said, look, you can see the Holy Spirit has come on, on Jews. You can see it's come on Gentiles. You can see it's come on everyone. That's the reason why the Holy Spirit was delayed. Now, the events of Acts 19, I'm skipping to Acts 19, distinguish between John's baptism and fully believing in Jesus Messiah. That's another passage that's sometimes quoted because people will say, well, wait a minute, these people also got it later. 
But these people had never believed in Jesus to begin with. They had had a baptism of repentance, but they didn't even know who Jesus was. See, that was one of the problems in the ancient world, right? There was actually people living um, apart from Jerusalem who didn't know what was going on. They had heard the message of John the Baptist, which is what? Repent, because the Lord is coming. And they had repented, and they believed the Messiah was coming, but the whole death crucifixion they never heard of. They didn't have a New York Times. They didn't have a San Francisco Chronicle. They didn't have anything like that. They didn't have the internet where you could find about it, you know, a second later. A year had passed or more, and they had no idea that there was a Jesus. And so when they heard about Jesus, they accepted Jesus, and at the same time in Acts 19, they received what? The Holy Spirit. Paul didn't have to come back again and tell them later to get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came at the same time. And so when we think about this issue, there is really no credible reason to believe that there's some kind of second baptism or second blessing that comes with the Holy Spirit. Now, again, but if we watch TV, what happens? We become confused on this issue. We become confused because in our minds we see things, we see acts and we see people acting and saying that, you know, you got to come to this church and this place and get this kind of Holy Spirit. Well, Let's talk about why that's going to be a problem. We are filled when we witness, all right? We receive the Holy Spirit at salvation, and we are filled with the Holy Spirit when we witness to other people about God. Now, two ideas here. First of all, our life and actions cause an ebb and flow of Holy Spirit in our lives. What do I mean by that? Does everybody know what ebb and flow is? If you go to the beach, you go to the ocean, right? The ocean, the tide comes in, it comes out, comes in and comes out. Now, the tide is controlled by what? Tide is controlled by the moon. Am I right? Astrophysically, Dennis, right? The moon controls the tides, okay? But in our lives, it is the action and the faith of our lives that control, if I want to use the word control, it's not a very good word, but cause the ebb and flow of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you an example. If you go out today and you just sin as much as you can, the Holy Spirit's power or filling in your life will diminish. It will go out. But if you really today recommit your faith to God and you share the gospel with someone and you know the Lord is working through you, then the filling of the Holy Spirit seems to increase. All right. So even though we have the Holy Spirit in our lives at salvation, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, and in fact there would be no salvation without the Holy Spirit in our lives, that the Holy Spirit comes and goes in our lives as we live our lives, largely based around how we live them. Now, is there an asterisk there? Yeah, asterisk is the whole message because it's complicated. But the asterisk there is the fact that if God wants the Holy Spirit to come on us like because He needs us to do something, then that don't have anything to do with what we've done or haven't done. That's the action of God. So God always trumps us. I hate to break it to everyone, but God always trumps us. So our life and actions cause an ebb and flow of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me give you an example. Acts 4 says this. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. So that's what happens, right? Because when we, when we are doing, once we become a believer and we're doing what God wants us to do, then the Holy Spirit will fill our lives, and it fills our lives when? Well, in this place, they were praying, right? They were praying, and the Holy Spirit filled them because of their prayer. So there are things that we do, there are things that we experience, there are things that we believe that make the Holy Spirit more filling in our lives, more powerful in our lives. 
Let me ask you a question. If I go out here and I go fishing, let's say I've never been deep sea fishing, and let's say, I don't know if I'd want to, but let's say I go deep sea fishing. I mean, I'm not against it. I'm just saying, you know, I'm not a fisherman necessarily by trade, so I don't know if it'd be fun or not. But let's say I go out here and go deep sea fishing, okay? Is that going to cause the Holy Spirit to fill me up? Well, the Holy Spirit lives inside me because I'm a believer. And by the way, any other believers on the boat will know that I'm a believer because my spirit will testify, the Holy Spirit inside of me will testify to other believers that I am a believer. And if you're a believer, you know that because you've experienced the testimony of the Holy Spirit in that way. That's not a magical thing. It's not a weird thing. But when you meet someone who's a believer, the Holy Spirit and that person will testify to you that that person is a believer. I've experienced it. And if you're a believer here, you've probably experienced it as well. If you have experienced don't worry about it because it's something that God just hasn't done in your life yet. Just keep on being faithful. All right. But if I go deep sea fishing, is that going to fill me with the Holy Spirit? No. Why not? Well, I suppose it could. I mean, if I, you know, uh, you know, preach Jesus to everyone on the boat, may, maybe. Right. But just the general act of going to deep sea fishing is not going to do it. It doesn't really matter about the Holy Spirit. OK, why do I use that example? Because there are things that we can do that will help us if we want to experience more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But there's other things that are just neutral things that don't matter. Going to work does not help you with the Holy Spirit be more filling in your life. At the same time, things like holy laughter may also be things that, by the way, don't necessarily increase your uh, filling of the Holy Spirit. Though they make you make you feel good, they may not necessarily increase your role of the Holy Spirit. All right, you're filling in the Holy Spirit. So let me just develop this a little further. The Holy Spirit is most seen when we proclaim Jesus. Yes, that's right. The Holy Spirit, at least in Acts, is most seen when we are sharing the gospel with other people. Not when we're prophesying, not when we're yelling, not when we're, you know, uh, fighting with our boss, not when we're fighting with our kids. None of those things. The Holy Spirit is not the force, okay? I can't use the Holy Spirit, and you can't use the Holy Spirit however you want to. I mean, lightsabers are cool and doing like the flips that Luke Skywalker used to do. I mean, that's cool, right? But that's not what the Holy Spirit's for, and that's, it's not like the Holy Spirit at all. Let me just give you another example. Acts 1 says this. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be with my witness Telling people, by the way, it's a good point here about power. People make this several different words for power in the New Testament. This power is really more authority. Okay, but authority doesn't mean that you tell God what to do. All right. It just means that God has given you privilege because you're a child of God. Not to be rich or to tell other people what to do, but privilege to teach the gospel. Here's the privilege, the authority you have. But you receive authority when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And the authority will be that you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So here's the question. If I get on TV, and I have a lot of people that come on TV and watch me, and I'm showing the Holy Spirit by knocking people over and having them doing all these, what they call sign gifts, what does that have to do with proclaiming Jesus to people? Remember how Philip proclaimed Jesus to people in Acts? What did Philip do? He took the Ethiopian eunuch and opened the Bible and said, here's how you can know Jesus from the Old Testament. He didn't even have the New Testament, just the Old Testament. Here's how you can know who Jesus is the Messiah. That's proclaiming Jesus, okay? 
we want to make sure that we understand what proclaiming Jesus is. Proclaiming Jesus is not me wearing a Jesus t-shirt and acting like an idiot down at Walmart. That's not proclaiming Jesus. I mean, I mean, I guess you could argue it is in a very weird, broken way. But it's not certainly the idea that God had in mind. How did the apostles proclaim Jesus? They went to people and said, Hey, did you know that there was a guy who uh, lived and said that he was the Messiah, and then he came, he died, and he rose again on the third day, and he proved that he was Messiah, and that if you believe in him, you'll have eternal life? What do you think? You know? I mean, that's proclaiming Jesus. See, but that's... Okay, I know this is the first service. Can I just say this? I'm, I'm, I'm going to offend half of you probably by using this word. I'm apologize. That's not sexy, right? Because our world is very concerned about what is cool or wicked or sexy. There, I'm using the word sexy in the wrong way, right? Because sexy means... No, well, no, it also means cool, right? But that's not what is popular in our world. Because popular in our world, you've got to have big audiences and big TV and big money and big show. But it's not about that. It's about each individual person knowing what God did for them. That's proclaiming Jesus. So, here's the thing. But what about all these sign gifts? Everyone see that, right? Well, most of the sign gifts, quote-unquote, their practice are not in the Bible at all. Does that make them wrong? No, it doesn't necessarily make them wrong. But is this a real example of the Holy Spirit? According to the Bible, the answer would be no. It can be, I suppose. I, don't want, to, I want to be very careful because I don't want to invalidate anybody's experience. If anybody's experienced it and it's been a blessing to them, then great. Okay? But it's not the purpose of the Bible. It's not the point of the Bible. Let me give you a good example. If I win the lottery or I get a big raise at work, that could be a good thing, right? But is, is that God's plan for my life? Really? I mean, it feels good, doesn't it? But it doesn't have much to do with God's plan for my life. Because God's plan for my life is what? To be faithful to Him and proclaim Him and be a witness to Him to, throughout the entire world. That's what God wants us to do. It's not cool. It's not wicked. It's not sexy. Right? It's just what God asks us to do. You know, we are like kids, okay? Because when Wyatt asks me, and he asks me this somewhat regularly, he'll say, Daddy, what's wrong? What do I need to do, Daddy? When we're at a party or we're at the park or whatever. And I'll say, I just want you to obey and be good. Just obey. Well, that's no fun. He doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to do that. That's not fun. And that's the problem because we don't want to do the things that God asks us to do. We want to do what we want to do. And what we want to do involves money and TV and big production and, you know, experiences and all that stuff. But it's not what God asks us to do. Now, again, let me say this. I'm not saying the sign gifts are necessarily not from God. Um, I mean, everything is from God in the sense that if it's here... God created or gave license to it in some way. But it's not in the Bible. And it's not what God is talking about. Because every time in Acts we see the Holy Spirit show up, what are people doing? They're sharing their faith. They're not rolling around on the floor. They're sharing their faith. 
And so when we understand that the Holy Spirit is the seal of God and is God who lives inside of us, then it makes some of these things seem to be not so important. All right, last thing real quickly. We are empty when we ignore God. Here's one of the biggest problems. There's no slides. I'm just going to say this and then we'll be done because I know this message is, is difficult. I know it's not easy. But here's, let me just leave you with one thing here this morning. Most people who are believers would, if I asked you this question, maybe anonymous survey here, if I said, would you like to have more of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? Most of you would say yes, right? Most of you would say yes. And here's the problem with that question. And here's the problem with you saying yes. If you say yes, if you say yes, you're missing the point of the message here this morning, okay? Because you already, if you're a believer in Christ, you already have all the Holy Spirit with you, okay? You already got it. It's already there. What you have to decide is how lukewarm you're going to be. Because a lukewarm Christian has the whole, I mean, if, again, if, if a lukewarm Christian exists, if it's possible, we've debated that over the last year, but if a person is just a lukewarm Christian, the Holy Spirit is in them. The Holy Spirit has sealed them. The Holy Spirit is just as much in them as the guy who rolls around the floor, if not more, or equally. Equally, 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 right, I guess. Assuming the guy rolling around the floor is also a believer. The issue is not whether or not you need to get more of the Holy Spirit. The issue is whether or not you are living faithful to God and proclaiming His Son. That's what it comes down to. If you want to experience more of the filling of the Holy Spirit, just live more for Jesus. Just proclaim Jesus to more people, and you'll experience more of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not going to make you rich. It's, it's not going to make you healthy. The Holy Spirit, I mean, in general, it can. I mean, he can, of course. But he, it's, not, it's not what it is. It's not like the more Holy Spirit you get, the more healthy you become. It's not like you have to pray more until you get more of the Holy Spirit so you don't have a bunion on your feet. That's not the way it works. The way it works is, is that the more you empty yourself of you and the more you choose to follow and be faithful and be obedient to God, the more the Holy Spirit comes into your life. Again, one of my favorite stories is Simon Magus, which, which means, by the way, Simon the Magician in, in English. And, and Simon is an axe. And Simon sees the Holy Spirit doing miracles. And so Simon says, man... Dude, can I buy the Holy Spirit from you? I'll give you as much money as you want. And Peter says, you will never get the Holy Spirit because you cannot buy it. It has to be a gift from God because it comes through salvation. Most American Christians who are lukewarm are no better than Simon because they try to buy the Holy Spirit through their actions, or through their wants, or through their needs, rather than just being obedient to God. That's the truth. We just simply, instead of giving, trying to give God money, we try to give God other things like our good works to get the, or we're a nice person, God, or I come to church every now and again, God. We give Him that expecting more. But that's not the way it comes. It comes because we're obedient to God, and the more obedient we are, the more the Holy Spirit fills our lives, and the more powerful we become. Not because the power is ours, but because the power is God's. 
And God uses his power for the way that he wants to use it, not the way we want to use it. Which is good, because if all of us had the power of the Holy Spirit the way George Lucas defines it, we'd be making ourselves rich, we'd be uh, destroying our enemies, and we'd be building Death Stars. That's what we would do. But because the Holy Spirit is primarily to prove and demonstrate to the world that God is who he says he is, only when we are doing that do we experience the power of the Holy Spirit. The more we proclaim, the more we live for God, the more the Holy Spirit fills us up. For those who are believers, we have the Holy Spirit. We want more filling. We need more sharing. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning, and we just pray this morning that we would, uh, first of all, if we're a believer in Christ, recognize that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Lord, that we don't feel bad that, or, or secondary because some people show it off, sort of, so to speak, more than us. Father, I pray that, that people that are here would not, um, that, uh, that people who are faithful to God would be faithful to you. Lord, I pray that we would not look to uh, signs and wonders as being the, um, the factor of our spiritual lives, but that it would be devoted to faith and grace, because that's what the Bible says. And that may not be the cool thing, but it is the right thing. Father, I pray this morning that you would encourage everyone here, that they would have faith, they would be uh, inspired by your grace, that they would live for you, that they would share the gospel for you, and that in doing so, you would continue to more and more fill them with the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.